friends, welcome to Girls Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is my sweet friend, Ainsley Britton. Ainsley is an author, a public speaker, and the director of the Unveiled Campaign, which is an amazing online community for young adults that helps us break free of the lies we believe about ourselves. I'm so grateful to have Ainsley here with us today. The truth is that today she's going to be sharing some pretty tough stories from her life. She's telling us about a few times when she found herself in some pretty toxic relationships. She's going to share with us how she found herself there, why she stayed for so long, and how she ended up finally getting out. I'm so grateful that she's willing to share with us today because these conversations are so important. I'd venture a guess that most of us have found ourselves in at least one unhealthy relationship in our lives. Maybe it was a romantic relationship or a work relationship or a friend relationship. And maybe it was the kind of relationship that wasn't the best where we really deserved better but we didn't fully realize it at the time. Or maybe the relationship was toxic or dangerous or even abusive. We are running the gamut today, friends, and I'm so glad that Ainsley's here to share her wisdom with us. Now, before we jump in, I want to say one thing. Guys, we're going to be talking about some pretty tough stuff in this episode, and so if something is triggering for you, please feel free to turn it off. You do not need to listen to the end if something gets a bit too hard. But that being said, if this episode does bring up something tough for you, I really, really hope that you'll reach out to someone in your life about it, okay? You do not have to navigate this alone. Friends, my hope for this episode is that it gives you a little extra oomph. Ending a friendship or a relationship or quitting a job, these are really hard things to do, especially because sometimes it's hard to believe we deserve any better. But my hope and my prayer is that this episode gives you that extra oomph that you need, that it gives you courage as you find out that you are not alone in what you're going through, and that it reminds you that you not only deserve better, but the better is out there for you. Okay, one last thing before we dive in. And it's a resource I wanted to make sure to share with you. So one of the things that can be really hard when we've been in a not so great relationship is knowing when we're ready to start dating again. Has it been enough time? Have you healed enough? Are you ready to try again? Should you wait a little bit longer? These are really hard questions to answer. And so I created a resource that can help. It's a free 10 question quiz called, Are You Ready to Start Dating? And in it, I'm gonna help you think through some of these questions. And I'll also walk with you through your answers so that you can take the step forward that's best for you right now. But that's not all. When you sign up to download the quiz, you'll also receive an email series with the eight pep talks that were total game changers for me in the years before I met Carl. I would love to share them with you. To check it out, all you have to do is head over to my shop. It's smaywilsonshop.com. And if you scroll all the way to the bottom, that's where you'll find the link. Okay, with that said, let's jump into today's episode. Here is my conversation with Ainsley. All right, friends, I'm sitting here with my sweet friend Ainsley Britton, and I'm so excited for you to get to meet her. I just love this girl. Ainsley, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm so pumped. You don't even know. Oh my gosh. It's like about time we had you on the show. I can't believe it's I can't believe we've made it this long into girls' nights without you being here. I feel like that was like a grievous error on my part. So anyway, I'm (laughs) so happy to have you here. Um, so for women who haven't gotten to meet you yet, tell us who you are, what you do. And I'm really excited to hear your fun fact because I don't, you guys, you may not know this, but when I'm talking to our guests beforehand, I always say like, do you have your fun fact? Because I know that it's really intimidating to come up with one on the spot, like pretty impossible. Uh Um, and so I'm always like, Hey, don't forget about your fun fact, but then people want to start to tell me it. And I'm like, no, 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 don't tell me. (laughs) So, cause I always, I just like being surprised. So anyway, I never know people's fun fact, but I always double check to make sure they have one because it's really hard to come up with one on the spot. So anyway, who are you? What do you do? Tell us a fun fact. Okay. Hey, friends. I'm Ainsley Britton. I'm an author, public speaker, and director of UnveiledCampaign.com, which is an online community where we unveil the lies we believe about ourselves so we can walk in God's truth. It's essentially a mental health toolkit and self-worth guide to better equip young adults when it comes to coping with this thing called life. (laughs) Um, So that's who I am. That's what I do. And my fun fact, which, you know, I really... 
this is kind of my default. I feel like there are more fun facts about me, but I could, you know, like you said, it's hard to come up with them on the spot. So this is my default, but I'm sure I'll think of a better one later. Um, But when I was 16, maybe 17, I can't really remember. I was a student in Walter White's chemistry class on the show Breaking Bad. Wait, really? Yeah. Not a lot of people, like I didn't even watch it. And a lot of my friends didn't either, but some people are very fascinated by that fact. <laughs> is I'm like, I had totally have not watched Breaking Bad. Is it, um, were you like an extra? Is that I'm technically a featured extra? Featured so extra. I was a student and I had like, you know, hair and makeup and wardrobe and all that fun stuff and had a specific like role. But yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. I had to stay on set for a lifetime, but it was so much fun and it was great. Did you start watching the show after you did it? No. <laughs> I, I, I went to the premiere and the first episode, I was like, yeah, this is not my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't watch it. I think I watched like the scene that I was in and yeah. it's not very glamorous, but I can see me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's I just amazing. didn't watch it. Which, I don't know. That's probably a silly fact. That's dumb of me, but I don't know. It just wasn't my kind of show, you know? No, I'm so glad you said that. I feel like we've talked about this on the show before. I think we have that um, I'm like really, really picky with the kinds of things that I watch because yes. it's like just a th- things just don't leave my brain. Like I can't watch mm-hmm. something awful and then just like move on with life. It just really sticks with me. And so because of that, I have to be really careful about like, do I want this like plastered to the walls of my mind? If not, I probably shouldn't watch it, which makes me really lame in conversations. Like people are like, have you watched, like I haven't seen Game of Thrones. I know, but yeah, it's, but like everyone in my life, I, you know, so many of my favorite people like are super into it and, or have been super into it. And every time I'm like, do you think I would like it? My best friend, my husband, everyone are like, no, 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 no. You, you just would not like it. So anyway, I'm with you. I'm the exact same way. I totally understand that. Yes, man. I don't know. Some people, some people can totally do it, and I'm just not. I'm just not one of them. Me either. Um, okay, so Ainsley, I'm. I'm so happy to have you here. You are just such a gem, and uh, just a gift to me. Every time I get to see you, every time we get to spend time together, I walk away feeling like just so filled up, having learned so much about life and about God and about myself. And I just, I just love you. So I'm so excited to have you here. You and I were at coffee a little while ago, um, and we had a particular conversation and that was what made me think, like, as we're talking, I was thinking, we need to talk about this on the show because you had so much wisdom to offer and so much, um, insight and it was so good. So, you were, you were talking like just really generally, you were um, telling me about a conversation you'd had with someone who was in like a pretty toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was asking for your advice. She was asking like, should she stay? Should she stick it out? How should she, like, should she leave? How does she know? And she was asking for your advice because this is something you've walked through in your own life. Mm-hmm. Um, And I know that our stories are different. And so I know that some of the women who are listening might be or have been in like really serious, really toxic, really abusive relationships. I also know that we have women who are listening who are in like a okay relationship or dating someone who's like, you know, not terrible, but like maybe not best for them. And for some women listening, this may have nothing to do with, um, romantic relationships at all, but it may be more like a job or a friendship or, um, you know, I think a lot of us find ourselves in situations that aren't the best, but we can't really tell if they're that bad or if it's on us that they're bad or if we should stay or how long we should stay. It's just, there's so, there's so much to it. And so that's a lot of what we're talking about today. And I know that all of the the situations for everyone listening are going to be different, but I also know it's so helpful to hear from anyone who's walked through anything even similar to what we're going through and to just hear someone who's like come out the other side and how they came out the other side. I think it just really gives us hope to hear that someone was able to make a major change in their life. And so I'm really, I'm super grateful that you're here and really grateful that you're going to share some of your story with us. And I know that these are like super tender stories. And so I, I want you to know please feel free to share whatever you want to share and you do not have to share anything you don't want to share. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so anyway, I, I know that, again, this is a really tender story, but can you tell us like the story of the, the one particular relationship that you were in? Yes, absolutely. So I was in a pretty serious relationship a while back. And this was a guy I really knew really well. He was one of my dear, dear friends. And we dated for about a year or so. Let's see. I'm thinking back. It was about three months in. Now, when I say I knew this person really well, like it was one of my dear, dear friends. So whenever, you know, three months in, I started noticing some odd behavior, it jarred me a little bit. I was being yelled at, which had never happened to me before, but he had like a high pressure job. So I figured that, you know, that that must've been it. And he just needed to kind of blow off some steam. And, and, you know, again, this was someone I knew very well. So I kept repeating to myself, like, this isn't like him. He just needs support more than ever. And as time went on, it escalated from just yelling to throwing things to trying to prevent me from talking to my friends and family as much, having opinions about what I should wear, where I should go, how often I should talk to my mom, which is literally every day in my life, but um, he hated that. And it just got pretty crazy. I mean, it was like almost an out-of-body experience because I was just not believing that it was real. Um, He was physically abusive one specific time, I remember, um, but the rest of the time it was emotional, verbal, and a lot, a lot, a lot of manipulation. So I know that things started to get like, like kind of hit a fever pitch at some point. Mm -hmm. What happened there? So that was, I remember we were like riding in a car and he had been drinking. So I was driving his car, which I had never done before. And, um, I, he was like yelling at me for not going fast enough. (laughs) And so I like slammed on my brakes because he kept was yelling at me so bad that I like was stopping the car. Like, and I slammed on my brakes and I turned to him and I was like, you will not talk to me like this. Like, this is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. And then that's whenever he like reached over and like hit, grabbed my arm, if that makes sense. So like he, his hand like slammed on my arm and then he like squeezed my arm so tight that I had little, you know, bruises from his fingerprints or finger grip. And it was at that moment that I was like, okay, what is happening? And then I distinctly remember, I mean, I remember this whole scene like it was yesterday, but I drove to my apartment. I ran inside. I slammed the door shut and locked him out. And then I literally just sat on the floor and was crying because I was like, what is happening? What is happening? What is happening? I went in my bathroom and I took a picture of my arm because it was, and you know, whenever you like get hit with something, it like whelps up. Mm -hmm. It was a literal whelp handprint. It was crazy. And so I took a picture and then, you know, on the other side of the door, he's just banging on the door. Like, I love you. I'm sorry. I love you. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And just using that kind of stereotypical abusive, uh, behavior to beg for forgiveness. And, and then it was just from that moment on, I was thrown into a whirlwind of like, I don't know what to do. And I officially feel unsafe. You, um, as you were telling me about this the first time, you mentioned some like specific hallmarks of of bad relationships that you've just like as you've been processing this and as you've been mm-hmm. healing from this and as you've been, like kind of as you're looking back, what are some of those things that that you what are some of those hallmarks? Mm-hmm. Um, so there were some things that you know I had heard about when it came to unhealthy relationships, but when I was in one, I was really blind to them. Um, at least in the beginning, you know, I would hear about abusive relationships and I would feel, I would physically feel like that heaviness on my heart, but I didn't do anything about it because I didn't want it to be true. So there are a few indicators, you know, of bad relationships that looking back, I'm like, Oh, this is like absolutely when I could have identified it or put a name to it. Um, one of those is blame. So they may, um, always blame you for, 
for any problem that's going on, especially their emotions or their problems. There's a lot of projection on you do this, you do this, you do this. And in the back of your mind, you're like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure this is exactly how I feel about you. How can you possibly say these things about me? Anger is absolutely one overreacting and those outbursts with, especially with immediate like groveling or regret that is stereotypical manipulation and abusive behavior for sure. Um, control is a huge one, you know, telling you what to think or what to wear, showing up uninvited or unwanted somewhere that you are. And these, you know, these may sound a little bit extreme and some people may immediately disengage and think that, you know, this, that's, I don't have to deal with that. So obviously this is not a bad relationship, but there's also less intense ideas like leaving you on red as a mind game and treating you like they aren't just keeping you or treating you, sorry, like they are just keeping you on the back burner instead of truly cherishing time with you. So there are some extreme examples, but there are also those little everyday examples. Like if you feel anxiety because you're waiting for a text back, that's not healthy. So that's just another, you know, some extreme examples, but then just some more simple examples of a potentially unhealthy relationship. I think the anxiety about the texting, like, I mean, I think that we all feel that in the beginning, you know, when you're like, what is this? Like, do you like me back? Like, is, is, are we going to go on another date? Or, um, I think that there's some of that, but like that should subside at some point. And I can think of relationships where, yeah, I was really nervous about like, is my boyfriend going to show up? Is he going to call me back? Am I going to hear from him? Like where I just didn't feel totally safe that he was as in it as I was. Mm -hmm. And I can think like, especially with Carl, I just, he never messed with my mind at all. There was Mm -hmm. never any doubt as to whether he was going to call the next day. It just was always, I was, I was a hundred percent sure that he was going to show up like he said he would. And so I think that there's a little bit of that in the beginning when they're, you know, you're still trying to like feel out, is this a relationship? Are we heading in that direction? Do we like each other? And you're not sure yet, but like at some point you should be sure enough to, to know that you can count on them to, call you the next day and, or to tell you if like, you're not going to have to figure out that the relationship's over. Cause you just stop hearing from them. Like they're totally. going to, they're going to honor you and talk to you, you know? Totally. And a lot of these, you know, the signs aren't going to show up in the beginning. So you, that's kind of your indicator, right? Is like, whenever they keep showing up and you're six months in, yeah. you're like, Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah, this is warning, warning, warning. I think that that's like, I feel like I just, can feel this like collective, like grown eye roll when you said that, because I think that we all want to know in the beginning, if like how something's going to turn out, it's like, I should have known, like I should have known, you know, I've been through this before. So I'm, I have this list of things I'm looking for and things I'm not looking for. And, you know, he passed all the tests and then I ended up in the situation again. Like Mm -hmm. how did that happen? And, and I think I'm glad that you said that just because a lot of like things don't show up in the beginning always. Like yeah. we don't know, you don't know until you know. And mm-hmm. sometimes it takes a while of being, of knowing someone or being in a relationship with someone before you find out, like before you get to that like layer of the person. Totally. Um, totally. So I feel like that's just, it's frustrating that there's not a sign on everyone's forehead that's like, this isn't going to turn out well. Yeah. Um, but if you find yourself <laughs> six months in and it isn't turning out well, like to be really kind to yourself and, graceful with yourself because like you just don't sometimes you just don't know until you get to that layer with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think like, you know, you're in this relationship and it's starting to get scary and you're not being treated the way that you deserve to be treated. And you know that, and at first you're kind of like explaining it away, but then it gets to a point where you're like, yeah, I can't explain this away anymore. Yeah. Why did you like, you didn't immediately break up. Why did you stay? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was in that relationship, um, he convinced me that I couldn't go anywhere because of how much he needed me. And because he knew me so well, because we had been such close friends and, you know, he just knew what to say or do to keep me around. And that's that manipulation factor that I think is incredibly 
hard to get over. I believe I stayed not because I didn't think that I deserved better, but because I was afraid of what he would do if I left, whether it was hurt himself or even find someone that will not love him like I would, which was, un, you know, my love was unconditional for him, obviously, because I was putting myself through an abusive relationship because I thought it was better for him. And it was almost like, and this is one of those things that I'm just like, <laughs> I want to go back and punch myself in the face a little bit. But it was like almost one of those take one for the team mentality or like a martyr mentality. Like I thought I'll stay with him so no one else would have to go through that. Like no other girl. I know. Like what was I thinking? But I mean, that's also just like kind of who I am as an Enneagram too, as the helper, which if I can help someone else per, like not go through this in life, I am going to do whatever it takes. And, and that was an unhealthy state of that, by the way, I was not my most healthy self. So yeah, I mean, I think for me personally, it was, it was a manipulation factor where he pretty much told me that he couldn't be without me and I didn't want anything bad to happen to him. And then I didn't want anything bad to happen to anyone else. And I also believed a very big lie about myself that I think is a big lie that others might believe. And that is because he was such a good friend of mine, because I'd known him for a while, I believed that he was my last chance at someone loving me for all of me. Meaning I firmly believed the lie that no one would love me if they didn't already know my past. If I had to explain my past to anyone else, then they wouldn't love me. And that, so I, I really believed the lie that this was my last shot at someone fully accepting me and fully loving me. And he wasn't fully accepting me and wasn't fully loving me. So it was just lies and lies and lies that I was believing just swirling around. So I, I believe that's why I personally didn't stay. And that was, you know, the toxic relationship aspect, but to go off of what you said earlier, as far as like a, maybe a, a toxic work environment, I was also in one of those, um, when I lived in New York city that I kid you not, like I say this all the time and I mean it with every fiber in my being. It was so much like the devil wears Prada, like legit. I was being cussed at and, you know, my boss would tell me I didn't do something when I did do it. And it genuinely like stressed me out so bad that my hair was falling out. Oh my um, gosh, Ainsley. I know it was bananagrams. It was so crazy. So I didn't stay in that very long. I <laughs> had, it was, I think I only stayed at that place at, for like six months or something, but man, six months too long. I'll tell you that. So when we were at coffee, you were telling me about something really hard that happened in college. And we were talking about how when we can put a name to something and really call it what it is, it's real. It's a lot easier to heal and move forward. Because mm-hmm. I think that some of these things are so wiggly. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't look like we always picture abuse to look. It doesn't, it's, it's a softer than that. And so we don't know, we don't really know what to call it. Can you tell us, and please feel free to share as much or as little as you want, but can you tell us what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So this was one of those scenes that I think we know well, or we know a friend who has experienced this, but we don't know what to call it. I was picking up my roommate from a bar one night when a guy friend of ours asked if I could bring him home. And we got to his house and he said he, you know, forgot his key and his roommates weren't home. So um, we all agreed, you know, he came to our apartment to hang out until his roommates got back and he was already drinking. Um, And when we got to my apartment, we stayed up and we all had more to drink, like hanging out until um, we agreed that he would sleep on our couch since I wasn't going to drive anymore. And all of this was really how it all played out. You know, I knew his roommates. I knew they weren't home. It wasn't sketchy until I woke up to him on top of me. And I remember resisting. I remember saying stop. And then my memory is, you know, kind of blurry from there outside of waking up the next morning and him telling me I had to take plan B. And 
I replayed what happened. As I replayed what happened, like the days after, I talked myself out of it being sexual assault because he was my friend and he would never do that. Like that wasn't him. So I convinced myself and whoever asked that it was just a one night kind of thing. And it wasn't until I talked to a counselor that she called it rape. And that word felt so intense to me. The more I asked my friends and people around me, the more they resonated with my story without, you know, calling it something so intense. It it felt like it should be called like semi-sexual assault because of how much I didn't believe it was real and that my friend would do that. But the truth is semi-sexual assault is still sexual assault. You know, just because it wasn't violent or scary, it was still unwelcome and unwanted. And that is enough for it to be called what it really is. You know, if they or you say no once or stop just one time, or if they resist, it's not okay from that moment on to continue. I'm really glad that you shared this. I think that, you know, we were, when we talked about this the first time, I think so many of us have been in situations like this. Like it's, again, Mm -hmm. we picture an abusive relationship. We picture like the movies we've seen. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to something like sexual assault or rape, it's, we picture someone we don't know popping out of a bush and tackling us, you know, it's, that's, that's what we picture. And so it's so much trickier when we know the person or when we like the person or when we've like, been physical with them before, or if we're, yeah, yeah, we're, we're dating them or there's so many things that make it a little bit more complicated than, than the guy jumping out of a bush. And, but I'm so glad that, that we talked about this. I'm so glad that you said that because like, there isn't such a thing as semi-sexual assault. It, It, sexual assault looks different in all kinds of different scenarios, but it is absolutely sexual assault. It's absolutely rape. It's actually absolutely trauma. It's absolutely okay. something that is, that is going to deeply affect us and, and that should never have happened. And yeah. that we, it's just, it's just real. And, okay. and so I'm, I'm glad that you talked about this. What did you, what did you need? Like, how did you, how did you heal? What did you do after it happened? And then also, once you really could recognize what it was, how did you heal from there? Yeah. I think whether it is, you know, sexual assault or a bad relationship, I just needed someone to talk to me and not preach at me. I needed someone to say, you're not who he says you are. You're not who an abuser says you are. You're not who you say you are whenever you just went through trauma and are beating yourself up saying, why did I do this? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? I needed someone to identify and communicate red flags as gently as possible. Because when you're trying to defend yourself and your decisions and your situations, your friends can quickly feel like enemies, even when they're coming to you in love. Instead of saying, well, you shouldn't have been drinking. You shouldn't have been wearing that. I wish somebody would have said, are you okay? is everything okay? Can I help? Can I just listen to you? I think it's important to normalize counseling and talking about it so we remove that stigma. I think it's okay to talk to someone to equip you with coping skills and self-awareness that could save your life. I sometimes wish I would have called a hotline and known my options that my friends didn't know. I wish I would have known that I could have gone to the hospital and gotten you know, the rape exam done and just had that in case I needed it. And the hotline.org is a great resource for that. They have a a chat and a call. And I just wish I would have called to get information. And I wish somebody would have told me that that was possible. It's important to know you can't necessarily rescue someone, um, but you can paint the picture of freedom for them over non-judgmental conversations and quality time. I just been sitting here because that's so good. And oh, it's just real. I just wish people knew how to help their friends better and give them those resources because that's what matters. 
I think those three things, like resources of mm-hmm. listen here, here are people who know what to do next, mm-hmm. um, who know what, what your options are. And then non-judgmental conversations and just asking, like asking questions and quality time, like, oh my gosh, quality time. We just don't think of that as being, it's just, it's so helpful. Having someone just mm-hmm. sit with us is like second to none, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash friendship. I like, I think that when I, you know, when I think about unhealthy relationships, my 
most unhealthy, like most manipulative relationship that I've ever been in was a work relationship. Mm. And I like, when I think back to it, like, why did I, why didn't I stand up for myself? Why didn't I like get out of there? Why didn't I say something? And I think that part of it is that in the moment, like usually you only have one job at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes you haven't had, like we we've only had so many jobs in our life. So it's like, you don't always have something to compare it to. Right. You don't always, it's not like you have a great situation sitting next to a crappy situation and you can see like, it's not supposed to be this way. Sometimes you don't a hundred percent know that. I think that there's, there are all kinds of reasons. Like, I think for me, I didn't know if I, I I think I thought that this was the best opportunity I was going to get. And I didn't know where I would be without this opportunity. Like I had one shot and I had to make the most of it. And I had to put up with whatever. And and I didn't, I think also when you're in the midst of something, I mean, you said this before, you kind of don't realize how bad things are until they're really pretty bad. And there are some things that you can kind of only see in hindsight. But I think that one thing, and I've talked to a lot of friends about this recently in a lot of different scenarios. I think that realizing, I like I tended to do the like, what if worst case scenario kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, what if they, Mm -hmm. you know, what if this is my last shot? What if like, no one will ever hire me again? What if like, you know, and play that out. Mm -hmm. Something that Carl has really helped me do, and this has really helped with like some of the anxiety I feel sometimes is he's like, he'll ask me the what if game, like he'll play the what if game with me and he'll take Mm -hmm. it all the way to the end of the road. Yes. So like, what if, you know, you do get fired from this job? Okay. So then you need a new job. Okay. Well, what if I can't find one? Okay. Well, what if you can't find one for like how long? Like at some point you probably will be able to find one. So yeah. then what if this, and he'll take it all the way to the end. And I realized that that what if scenario is actually not that bad and I'm probably going to be okay. Absolutely. And I think that that has been such a powerful thing. I think we get ourselves or we find ourselves in situations sometimes that we feel like we can't get out of because, and from like little things to, I'm trying to think of a recent example, like, oh, like I feel like I need to, do this thing with this person because what if they, um, or like, what if they're mad that I didn't or something? It's like, okay, well, what if they are mad that you didn't? And then what, okay, what if they don't want to be my friend anymore because, or what if they fire me or whatever? Okay. Well, what if they do? That's kind of crazy. Like Mm -hmm. that that's, um, if this person decides to not be your friend anymore, that says more about them than it does about you. Yeah. You can freely say no to this knowing like, the world's not going to fall apart if you if you walk away from this. Like you're going to have an, another opportunity. And so yeah. I feel like I've talked to myself about that recently and then several friends where it's like I have a, a good friend who's in a kind of crazy new job situation and it's a total unknown and it's a big deal. It's high stress. And I just told her like, don't forget that you don't actually need this. Like at the yeah. end of the day, you can find another job. And so if for some reason you find yourself in a situation where people aren't treating you the way that you deserve to be treated, you're not stuck. Um, mm-hmm. You can walk away and you're going to be okay. And I don't know. I mean, hopefully she doesn't even need that, you know, but right. for some reason, that's something that I found myself thinking about and saying a lot lately. So I don't know if that's helpful to anyone. <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely is because that exact scenario that you're talking about in that game applies in every area of life, whether it's work, whether it's friendships, whether it's relationships, like, you know, the thing is, is like that what if can go two different ways, specifically in an abusive relationship. You can say, what if you leave and what if you stay? And you can go to the end of the roads of each of those. And I went to the end of the road, you know, 2020 in hindsight, at the end of the road, if I would have stayed, I could have been dead. If we're being very honest, if the end of the road when I left is where I am now. And this is like the best end of the road ever, ever, ever. Yes, Lord, thank you. And so I think that, you know, that that's like the best pros and cons list ever is what if these two, you know, paths happen or, you know, try those out because the end of the road truly, you know, could be something that could save your life or not. There... I'm really glad you said that. I I was reading something and I can't remember what it was recently where someone was talking about a friend who's getting out of a, a bad relationship and she said something about like you when you when you go through a breakup, when you you like break anything in your life, 
it's really, really painful. And it's really painful for a while. Um, It's like excruciating for days, weeks, months. It's just this dull kind of awful ache for a a year. I mean, really it depends on the scenario, but the thing is, you know, that she was realizing is that this friend of hers had chosen like excruciating pain for, you know, a matter of months to get out of this thing and to potentially be alone and to have to start over kind of in her life. But she chose that over like a lifetime of potentially excruciating, but definitely like just this dull, awful pain. Yeah, And it's re- it really is hard to break up with someone or to let go of something or to quit a job or whatever. I mean, there's so much uncertainty. Yeah, but, but in choosing the uncertainty, we're choosing the more painful route initially, but long-term, there's so much more chance for a new life. Whereas if we choose the thing that's safe, we don't go through that initial like excruciating pain, but mm-hmm. there's just more pain and it's just spread out for ever potentially. (laughs) Yeah. If you could go back and tell yourself something like, I would love to hear actually both when you were in that relationship, like trying to figure out what to do and also in your work relationship, like what would you go back and tell yourself in those moments? So if I were to go back and talk to myself, if I were sitting across the coffee table with younger me, I would approach it in a way where I was asking more questions that would plant seeds in my mind, in younger me's mind. So I would say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm worried about my friend. Her boyfriend seems to be really controlling. What should I do? And I would ask those questions because for me, I would need those little seeds to be planted instead of someone coming in and being like, hey, what are you doing? This is wrong. Get out. Because I wasn't believing that I was in a dangerous situation. I was in denial. So it's kind of like when you're talking to a friend and, you know, they're talking about something, you kind of question like, mate, is this happening in my life? And I think that's what I needed. I needed someone to plant those seeds of questions because that's what I would have, you know, thought about more. I wouldn't have been defensive. So like even thinking about going back and talking to yourself, like if you were to have a, like if someone were to have approached you back then and said like, Ainsley, get out, what are you doing? Like mm-hmm. you're saying that would not have been helpful for you. Not for me personally. No, because I was defending my relationship. Yeah. It's, 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 it's someone saying you're not living right. And nobody wants to hear that ever, especially if they're already feeling it. Yeah. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. So you can see it too? I'm confused. What's going on? Stop, stop, stop. Yeah. I think that like, you know how if I like this happens in so many different scenarios, I feel like, but like you can be really frustrated with like your sister. If Mm -hmm. someone else is like, yeah, your sister was being a jerk. Then all of a sudden you're mad at that person. Like you're no longer mad at your sister. Cause you're like, I can be mad at my sister. That's my sister. You cannot be mad at my sister. All of a sudden you're defending them. And I feel like Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same way where it's like, you can be upset in your relationship, but the second someone starts questioning your relationship, then you start to defend it. Whereas if like just having, having some things to sort of ponder, and I think a lot of times we can see we we can see other people's situations more clearly than we can ourselves. Like yeah. we can give someone else really clear, really sound advice that we cannot take in our own lives yes. because we're just too close to it and we're too emotionally attached to it. Mm-hmm. Do you um an, like approaching a friend who's in a situation that's unhealthy, whether it's like major unhealth or whether like abusive relationship or whether it's like this work situation is not good. Or like, I think that there's a better guy out there for you. What other advice do you have for like, how do we approach someone that we really love who we think is in a bad situation? Yeah. I think I would make sure, you know, that even though my friend, which this is just likely the situation, if they are in, in, in a toxic place, they're likely going to be pushing you away because of exactly what you just said about, you know, your sister, you're, you're kind of annoyed with yourself that you're even in this situation. You don't really know what's going on. So they, they may push others away or they may be forced to push others away if they're in that abusive relationship, because the abuser 
loves to isolate. So I would just advise others to keep constantly running towards that friend because eventually they'll get out of that dangerous situation and they will feel incredibly alone. And the more harsh you go in or the more blunt that you go in, they may just immediately cut you off. And because they don't think that's true, you know, they, they might just be like, Nope, I'm done. You're wrong. Bye. But the thing is, is like, because you never think that it'll happen to you. Like, like most things you feel above them, you feel invincible. But the truth is, is that, you know, statistically more than one in three women and more than one in four men in the United States have experienced rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner in their lifetime. And females ages 18 to 24 and 25 to 34 are generally experiencing the highest rates of intimate partner violence. Those, that, those statistics are from the hotline.org and it's a, a really great resource for domestic violence. Um, but yeah, I think as hard as it is and as hurt as you could be as a friend that you feel like you're being pushed away, I would just const- I would just be as supportive and as close as you can, as they'll allow you because eventually it'll all come crashing down and they will be infinitely grateful that everything fell down around them and you were standing in right next to them. Mm. I really love that. So, you know, we've been talking about the different reasons that we stay in relationships um, that aren't best for us. And I think there really are so many different reasons. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we mentioned, we don't really know that they're bad or we don't know that better is available to us. Or I think, you know, like you mentioned, like we're afraid that there isn't anything better for us. So we figure something bad is better than nothing. Like Mm -hmm. what would you, if a woman is sitting in that right now, like what encouragement do you have for her? Like what truth do you have for her? I just would love to hear that. Yeah. If I was just sitting, you know, across the table from someone that was in that situation, I think the first thing I would do is I would just ask them about their ideal relationship. I would ask them to paint the picture for me. How would you be loved? How would you be spoken to? How would you be looked at? How would he hold your hand? I would want, you know, how would you communicate? I would want them to really envision that write it down, draw it out, do whatever it it takes to really see that. And then the truth is, is that it's 1000% possible, but it can't happen if you're tethered to toxicity. If you are still holding on to a toxic thing, you can't have this beautiful ideal situation that is full of healing and grace and love And the truth is, is that it doesn't have to be as intense as physical abuse. You know, a jealous, irrational, controlling, and critical boyfriend is abusive emotionally. And that is incredibly common. I have a name for the guys who are just not treating us well, but they aren't quite abusive, if you will. It's like we were talking about earlier. It's it's just like, okay, it's not the best, but it's not like sending me to the hospital. I like to call them booba dudes. <laughs> and this may help, you know, ha- someone have that conversation with their friend. And this is what I use all the time when I'm talking to high school and college girls. I'm like, is he a booba dude? Because the guy that comes up in your mind when you think about booba dudes is for sure right. Like when you think about a booba dude, you're thinking of, you know, the guys that just don't treat you the best. They don't deserve your time or attention, but we're so worried if they're going to text back that we just sit and look at our phones. These are the ones that, you know, haven't treated you well, but it's nice to be noticed. So you kind of just hang out for the attention, but you know that it's not where it should be. Maybe they're the ones who just conveniently forgot their wallet and you're like, okay, Come on. And I think there's a difference between they really truthfully like, oh my gosh, I'm humiliated. I forgot my wallet. And then there's one that's like, "Mm, sorry, must've forgotten it. Guess you have to pay. And then there's, you know, the ones that are using blatant manipulation to try and keep you on the back burner while they're doing who knows what with who knows who. Like a boo-boo dude treats 
a ride or die chick, like a side chick. And the one thing that I would just like really want to talk to them about to a girl or, you know, someone going through this is whatever is holding you back from stepping into the treatment you deserve. We need to work on getting that out of here. Like let's unveil each lie, each hurt, each scar and replace them with God's truth about who you are in him. So we can be done with abusive relationships, toxic workplaces, and booboo dudes. I love that you said that. I, you know, you have a whole ministry all about identity and stepping, like truly believing our identity in Christ. Like, how do we, how do we do? Because it sounds like, I mean, we know that there's such a connection there. It's mm-hmm. really when we don't believe that we're worthy of love, when someone treats us like we're not worthy of love, it's like mm-hmm. we're on the same page here. When mm-hmm. we know how, how worthy of love we are and how loved we are, it's really a lot harder, I think, for us to, or it, there's just more of a disparity when someone doesn't treat us that way. And, mm-hmm. and I think that we feel stronger to, to stand. I think the stronger we feel in ourselves, the easier it is for us to stand up for ourselves. Yes. But when we all already feel so beaten down in life, it's really hard for us to like fight back against someone who just agrees with the things that we already believe about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we, how do we do that? What are some, some things that we can do in our lives today to really learn and embrace our identity? Yeah. Like you said before, like it's kind of like that quote in Perks of Being a Wallflower when he says, we accept the love we think we deserve. Hmm. So if you don't love yourself in a healthy way, you won't receive or give love to anyone else in a healthy way. You know, it's really easy to point that out in others, but it's incredibly important to look within ourselves for that. And the scary part of all this is that some people never do the work to figure out who they are and what they're worth. There are full-grown adults who still cope like children because they haven't done the work to discover their self-worth. They're stuck in unhealthy situations because they don't know. And I'll be very honest, like it can be lonely. It can be difficult. It can be gut-wrenching, but the reward is walking with your head held high in unwavering confidence that you are capable, worthy, and treasured. And you will believe that. And It seems unbelievable when you're in an unhealthy place, but when you get to the other side, you're like, wow, I, I can't believe how much I love myself. This almost seems weird. (laughs) And when we are tempted to lower our standards of how we should be respected and treated, we have to remember to lean into the worth that we find in Jesus. And That requires spending intentional time with him, asking him to describe how he sees you and ask him to remind you of the gravity of the sacrifice he made, proving that you are worthy simply because you're a child of God. When you don't believe that you are worthy, it's essentially saying Christ died for nothing. And that's just not true. Like we believe our worth by believing the best about ourselves and giving ourselves the grace that God pours out to us. So you messed up. So you're not perfect. Give yourself a dang break. Get up, dust off, and move forward. I would love for us to, you know, normalize counseling, share our burdens with others because the scars serve a purpose. I would not be talking about the insane healing of God without the pain that required that. I would not be running a nonprofit or writing a book. Our destinies are idle without self love and self confidence, in my opinion. I, oh man, I love that so much. I'm so glad that you mentioned counseling because I think some of these things that we have been through, some of the things that we believe about ourselves, some of the, I mean, there's so many layers of it. You know, I, I think that like they come from so many different places, the lives that we believe about ourselves and they're so hard to untangle on our own. We're just so close to it that we just don't have a whole lot of perspective to be able to like, to, to sort through it. We just, we just can't. And so I, every time in my life, like this is sort of the filter I've used when it comes to counseling is like, have I, have I tried fixing this on my own? Mm -hmm. Is it, if it's not working, like, then this is something that's beyond my pay grade. This is something Mm -hmm. I could use some help with. And I think that for a long time, asking for help felt like failure. It felt like you should be able to do it on your own. You should be able to fix it on your own, but 
Asking for help is great strength. We're so much stronger when we have an amazing team of people behind us and in our corner helping us and, and having a counselor who really, who, who is there to be an objective voice in your life, who is trained to help you work through trauma or, um, whatever you've been through that's, that's like left you so, so like feeling just so broken. That's what they're there for. And, and reaching out for that help isn't, isn't weakness. It's absolutely strength. Totally. Ainsley, how did you specifically with this relationship, how did you get out of it? Um, so in my abusive relationship, I wish I could say that I was strong enough to end it, but it was actually him that broke up with me. Um, I wish I would have broken up with him and immediately booked a flight home to be with my mom in a safe place. You know, I wish I would have been brave enough to walk away. I remember one time I did tell someone older than us and it was someone we both look up, looked up to, but he was closer to this person. Um, and I vividly remember saying, I'm afraid of him because he hurts me. And I remember their response being, I need you to stay with him because I'm afraid if you don't, he might hurt himself. And I think I would have been strong enough to leave if that was never said to me. But I can tell you that I realized that it was the best thing that had ever happened to me when I found myself riding in my car two weeks later. I was not talking to God after we had broken up because I was deeply angry and bitter and wondering why it all happened. And out of desperation, I just turned on the radio to put on worship music. Just I was just so desperate. I needed something. Immediately as that music came on, I just started crying so hard. I had to pull my car over. And when I pulled my car over, the word that came out of my mouth involuntarily, like I did not know that this was coming out of my mouth, was freedom. It was like I had lost my motor functions and the Holy Spirit took over and just said freedom. And I just repeated that word over and over and over and over until I realized that I was living in such a prison and the Lord was waiting for me to take his hand so he could provide that freedom. Like the door to that jail cell was open the whole time. But until I could take that first step and reach out and realize that freedom was available not only in just life, but in within myself, that I could leave that shame, blame, and guilt behind. Like for me, desperation was a blessing in disguise. Since it felt like I had lost everything, it forced me to fully depend on the Lord and what He was telling me. I, I asked Him about my worth and what the purpose was for all of this. I asked Him what He was trying to teach me and how to walk in freedom and how to walk in self-love again. And sometimes it felt like radio silence. Sometimes it felt like He was talking to me through a megaphone. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you know, I asked my friends for forgiveness when it came to isolating myself. I raced toward my passions and the things that I felt like I was being held back from. And it was incredibly healing to feel so free and be able to talk to people about it. Did you go to counseling in the... Like two seconds later. <laughs> I, I, this was the best part. I literally, like I walked into counseling with a spreadsheet of my family tree and uh, and the relationship and like all these issues. And I was like, these are the things we're going to talk about. Um, <laughs> and my counselor literally goes, I love you. <laughs> Because I walked and I was like, I have just been through some trauma. I am free from it, but we need to process it. (laughs) Oh man. I love that so much. Um, I feel like that's how I went into counseling too. Like I had a list of things we are going to talk about. Yep. We are tackling these. I am going to be healed. Yes, Lord. (laughs) Oh man. Well, okay. So Ainsley, I know that you are married now to an amazing guy named Justin. Yeah. And you know, you've mentioned this a couple of times that sometimes when we're in the midst of something, it's like, we kind of can't hear, like, we can't really hear truth. Like we're not thinking super clearly and having someone come at us with like, what you're doing is like, this is wrong. This is bad. Sometimes shuts us down more than invites us forward. And I love that you've said that, like having someone show you what is possible, like show you what freedom can look like is sometimes like the very best thing that we can hear to like, 
help us take that step forward into it ourselves. And so um, I know that your marriage is so different. It's like night and day from that relationship. Yes. But I would love to hear like, just tell us about it. Tell us some of the, mm-hmm. some of the differences, what you're like, if you could go back and tell yourself in the middle of that relationship, like Ainsley, if you find the strength to get out of this, this is what's waiting for you. What would you tell your, like, what's different about it? I so wish I could be like, girl, your future husband is so hot and he is six, eight. Like he is so tall and so hot. Like you don't even know, like, trust me, get out. (laughs) I I so wish I could tell myself that, but you know, that's why I'm sitting here today. And it's such a better redemption story after all. But my husband is so awesome. Like he is cute and smart and cute and sweet and cute and funny and all of the things I didn't know I deserved until I stepped into my worth in Jesus. Like Justin has never raised his voice at me. He doesn't blame me when something goes wrong. He is an incredible communicator. And we literally like, we might fight once a year, twice a year, maybe. Like our home is peaceful and fun. And it's just the complete opposite of before. Like one of the most powerful things that, you know, Justin taught me was saying thank you every day to each other. Like we thank each other for everything to remind us that we're grateful for each other and are willing to do tedious, hard things to keep our house humble and strong. And that's not to say we don't like say like, oh, come on, you couldn't have done the dishes today. (laughs) uh, Come on. But it's, but it's not like, it's just like, Hey, I'm just having a really stressful time. Is there any way that we could kind of share these things at home and Hey, thank you so much for putting your toothbrush back where, you know, I like it. I know that sounds so silly, but it, it creates an atmosphere of, of gratefulness for the other person. And you know, that doesn't mean we don't address issues, but it means we do so with grace and an understanding that we are on the same team forever and ever. Amen. Like we are in this together. So the fighting does not work for us. It just doesn't. But coming together and saying like, what is going on in your heart in life? Like, are you stressed out? I'm kind of stressed out. Okay. How can we balance each other? How can I do more? How can you do less? Or how can you do more and I do less? And like right now, the season that we're both in is incredibly busy. Um, This week specifically, we literally had to sit down and be like, hey, I don't know what I can do this week. And you know, he said, I don't know what I can do this week. I said, okay, great. So we're just going to have a really messy house until the weekend. He said, perfect. Yep. We're doing takeout every night this week. That's just where we are. Yes. We are not going to have any expectations for the other person and beautiful. We're on the same page. Yes. Love you. Let's make out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much. I love when you said that your home is, is peaceful and safe. I think that that's, man, like I, I don't know. Something about that is just so, I think that we all have, I, I think that like you know, in all different scenarios for all different reasons. Like I've, I've lived with, with roommates where like it was safe physically. Absolutely. But like not always emotionally safe, you know, where you're like, you kind of just don't know where you stand when you come home or like what's going to be happening or who's going to be upset with you or, um, and, and just to, to have a place where you just get to be you and, and where you get to show up and know that you're okay. And that you're loved every day is so, it's just worth more than we can even like there's just no way to describe how much that's worth and having that home in another person also having someone who just loves you and cares for you and is on your team where you're safe. That safety is just, there's just no way to describe how much it's worth. And it was something I never had before. Yeah. Which was incredible. Um, Ainsley, I know that there are women listening that are in all kinds of different situations. Some Mm -hmm. are in maybe the hardest situation of their entire life. Mm-hmm. Some are in situations that they didn't realize were hard until maybe right now. Um, yeah. For the women listening that are in relationships where they aren't treated well, or they aren't valued, or they aren't safe, or they aren't loved the way that they should be, whether that's in a work relationship, a romantic relationship, a friendship, what's just a last piece of encouragement that you have for her? Yeah. I am going to talk directly to her. 
I want you to know that freedom is on the other side of fear. You are not alone and there are resources to keep you safe. There are resources to bring you to safety. You are so loved by God and he is eager to wrap you up and pour out his endless unconditional love on you. Even when it doesn't feel like it, you deserve to be loved and treated like you dream to be. Like in the best case scenario that you are thinking for your life and your heart and your love and your health and your mental health and everything, that is 1000% possible. And I wish that I could hold your hand and make you believe it, but I need you to do the work that it takes and give yourself grace so that you do fully believe it and that you can fulfill your destiny and your purpose and your calling in life. I love that. Beansley, thank you for being here today, friend. Thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Stephanie, I don't know that if you just, I don't know if you know, but you are just like oozing Jesus. Like you just ooze grace and joy and love. And like, it is the most fun thing to be your friend. And this podcast and this work that you're doing is, I don't, I just don't know if you know how important it is because these are the conversations that are not happening in a lot of people's lives and they get to hear it in an honest and and real and loving way. So I just want you to know how much I love your work and I love your heart. And I am so honored to call you friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just crying over here. Friends, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. Before you go, I would love it if you would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of bookmarking the podcast. You'll never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take a quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So, would you do me a huge favor and take one quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It really would help us out so much. And I have to say the biggest thank you to all of you who have already left those beautiful five-star reviews. It means the world to me. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night. I'll see you then.